0: Man, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome to Sojourn. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's just always good to be with you, and we're just grateful to be able to gather together this morning. As Will said, if you're new here, just a special welcome to you. I'd love to chat with you after the service, so please feel free to come up and say hello, introduce yourself. i uh, just love to, to get to know you a little bit and help you get connected here at Sojourn Every week, when we have this time in the middle of our service, uh, it 's an important time for us as we open up god 's word and see what God has to say to us and about Himself and help us to understand more of, uh, of who He is and what that means for our own lives here and now. And so we look at the Bible every week. We preach from this god 's word, god 's scriptures every week. And so if you need a Bible, would you just raise your hand? There'll be a couple of folks that would love to give you a copy of the Bible this morning. Uh, So that you can read along with us. And we say this every week, uh, but I just want to remind you, if you are new here, that if you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. They're always in the back, and so feel free to take one of those. That's what they're there for. We want you to have a copy of God's Word in your hands, not only on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week as well. We're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3 this morning, so you can go ahead and even flip over to that uh, if you have your Bible with you. But as you get settled in here this morning, let me pray for us uh, before we begin Father, we give you thanks for our time to be able to be together this morning. And as we open up your word once again to the book of 1 Timothy and we look at these kind of pastoral epistles, these letters that Paul is writing to Timothy and writing to Titus throughout this series that we're going to be in, we pray, Father, that you'd help us to listen to the words that the Apostle Paul wrote through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we sitting here today in 2015 in Fairfax, Virginia might heed your words to us. Lord, help us to be a faithful church. That's our desire. That's what we long for. And we know that we are completely unable to do that apart from your help, apart from your empowerment, apart from your grace. And so as we open your word this morning, may that be a means of grace to us today to continue to push us towards faithfulness as a church. And as we talk about leadership this morning, I pray that you would help us to be a church that not only longs to be faithful as a church, but longs to have faithful leaders as well. And so we give this time to you, pray that it be honoring to you, glorifying to you, and helpful for us as your people. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we began this series called Faithful Church, where we're spending about eight weeks in the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And these are letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus, two men that he saw grow up and kind of raised up in the Lord. And he's writing to these two men, talking specifically about the local church, about leadership in the local church, and about what it means to be faithful And so last week when we began this series, we talked about just what is faithfulness. And we defined faithfulness as being a a long obedience in the same direction. It isn't always glamorous. Most of the time, it's probably not. It's definitely not easy. And most times, oftentimes, it's going to require struggle and sacrifice, especially as we find ourselves in a world that is more and more opposed to God and his good things for us. But what we were encouraged and challenged to see in Scripture last week is that faithfulness in life, whether life is exciting for you right now or pretty mundane, is possible when we hold on to Jesus. We can be faithful. We're able to be faithful in all areas of life because Jesus was and is faithful to us. Our faithfulness is not something we manufacture within ourselves. You don't just go home and say, you know what, today I'm going to be faithful. We can't muster that up on our own. Our faithfulness is derived from Jesus, the faithful one. And so if we are going to be a faithful church, we have to, we must hold on to Jesus no matter what comes our way as an individual, as a family, and as a church. So now for the next seven weeks, beginning today, we're going to be looking at different aspects of the church, different, different aspects of the church that are both things that we are called to be faithful in as part of God's church, but also things that help us to be faithful in our own lives. We're a local church, a local church that's part of Jesus's universal church, and the church has never been about a building, it's never been an organization or a social club, the church is a people, it's a family And in Ephesians chapter 5, we learn that Jesus died for his church. He died for his church. And so we want to take seriously what it means to be a part of Jesus's church. So to begin today, as we kind of walk through these different aspects of the church, we're going to see that in order for us to be a faithful church, we must have faithful leaders. So that's where we're going to start today. What kind of leaders lead Jesus's church? So go ahead, grab your Bible if you haven't already, and and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that's where we're going to jump in this morning in these first seven verses of chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul writes. This is what he says to us this morning. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, And con- with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This morning, I want to answer three questions as we look at this text. I want to answer these three questions What is an overseer? Paul talks about an overseer. What is an overseer? Who can be one of these people? And why in the world does this matter to you this morning? So, what is an overseer? Right away in verse 1, Paul makes a pretty strong and important statement here. He makes clear that there's a leadership office that's called overseer, that it's something to aspire to, and that the task or job of overseeing is a noble task or a good work. Now, one of the things that we learn throughout Scripture is that this term overseer is synonymous with the word elder. So we look in other places like 1 Peter chapter 5 and see that there Peter talks about elders. But elder and overseer are the same Office, the same leadership role within the church. In fact, to really be more accurate to what the Bible talks about, we could say that overseers and elders are is the office of leadership. And what elders do is shepherd and pastor. The Bible uses lots of analogies to talk about God's people, to talk about the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, which I just referenced, we learned that the church is Jesus' bride. John chapter 10, 1 Peter chapter 5, the church is Jesus' sheep. And what we see from these analogies that the scripture uses is that Jesus cares greatly about his church. He cares so much about the people that he died for that he hasn't left us to ourselves. He's given us first and foremost the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us. If we truly know Christ, we've been born again. And we have the Holy Spirit in us that leads us and guides us and teaches us and convicts us and encourages us as his people. But Jesus also has given his church leaders, men saved by grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, who love Jesus and love Jesus' church. Men who are called to stand up for and on behalf of Jesus' people, to help them be who they are called to be, faithful followers of Christ. And this is what we call pastor elders. At Sojourn, we, we see the terms elder and pastor as synonymous terms. A pastor is an elder and an elder is a pastor whether someone's paid by the church or is in a non-staff role within the church, if they hold the office of elder, they are also a pastor and vice versa. But here's the deal. Faithful leadership in the church is a gift of God to the church. Faithful leadership in the church is a gift of God to the church. So we're talking about that's what an, that's what an overseer is, that's what an elder is. But who can be one of these people? Who can be one of these leaders in the church. Well, Paul lays out the qualifications. He establishes the fact that this office exists of overseer, pastor, elder, but who in the world can do this? Verse 2 he says, therefore, therefore in light of the good work that it is, that's to be done in leading God's people, what kind of person can do this? Now, one thing we notice as we look through the text here is we see that multiple times, I think about four times, Paul says an elder must. An elder must do these things or be these things. These aren't suggestions. It's not nice or would be nice or kind of an added benefit if an elder held these kind of characteristics and qualifications. No, elders must have these things. And so let's look at these 14 characteristics. This text in First Timothy 3 may be new to you this morning, and that's okay. We're going to unpack that and help you understand it. For others of us, we've read this before, and it's easy just to kind of brush past it, glaze over it, and not really stop to think about what each of these characteristics really mean. So let's unpack it a bit to help us understand what is required to be a faithful leader. The first thing Paul says is that an elder must be above reproach. This is kind of a heading to the whole list. To be above reproach is to live a life that is free from accusation. A life that can't be spoken against. Now, this doesn't mean that an elder has to be perfect. Because here's the deal. Nobody's perfect. Leaders in the church are not perfect. All of us have sin. All of us struggle with sin. It's not possible to be perfect. But what Paul's saying here is that there can be no serious character issue in the life of an elder. A character issue that will defame the name of Christ, defame the name of his church, or harm his people. What follows after this call to be above reproach are 13 characteristics, 13 ways that a pastor elder can be above reproach. Paul says that an elder must be a husband of one wife. Now, one of the things we learn from this text and a few other texts in the New Testament is that an elder must be a man. And that's not popular in our culture today. We don't like to hear that. There's lots of things going on right now where we talk about gender and different aspects of of gender and who can do what and who's able to do what. But what we see here is that God in his providence has ordained that godly men lead the church. And as we hold on to God's word, believing it's sufficient for us, we seek to obey it as best we can, as best we know how. It's part of God's good design. Now, this does not mean that we believe that women are inferior we believe in the 100% equality of men and women. All people, both men and women, are created in the image of God and bear the image of God, which means we're all equal in the sight of God. This is not a matter of value. It's a distinction of role. So elder, an elder must be a man, but it says an elder must be the husband of one wife. Now, this might sound kind of weird. What is Paul getting at there? Uh, a different way to translate the wording here is, is that an elder must be a man of one woman or a one woman man. If an elder's married, and listen, he does not have to be married. Elders are, are not required to have a spouse. But if he's married, he must love and care for and cherish and lead and protect and nourish his bride. That's what an elder must do. Why? Why? Because Jesus is calling this man to love, care for, cherish, lead, protect, and nourish Jesus' bride, the church. And if a man is not able to do this, is not doing this with his wife, he will not do it with Jesus' bride and shouldn't be an elder. Now being a one-woman man also means that an elder, whether married or single, is free from sexual sin, is sexually pure. Listen, sexual sin has destroyed many a pastor in many a church. It's very subtle. It's oftentimes, it's always serious, but is always deadly. And so it has to be taken seriously. We have to take this seriously and say, man, the leaders in our church must be free from sexual sin. Paul says that an elder must also be sober minded. He he needs to be a man of wisdom. He needs to be circumspect, even-minded, not irrational in his words or actions. Sober-minded means that he needs to be a balanced thinker. He's not rash in his decision-making, his words, or his actions. He's a thoughtful man. An elder must be self-controlled. He needs to live a disciplined life. He's not impulsive in how he lives life. He's not captive to besetting sin. He's not erratic in his behavior. Again, whether in word or in action. He's called to be respectable. People respect him as a man and as an example. As a believer, as a husband, as a father if he's married and has children. He sets an example in that way. An elder must be uh, hospitable. He he welcomes people into his life and into his home, whether believers or non-believers. He's a person who is kind and gentle and welcomes people into his life and opens his home to all. He's able to teach. Paul says. And here we have one of the only places that Paul really says there's some ability that this this elder has to have that an elder has to have, he has to be able to teach. Now what this doesn't mean is that he has to be a great preacher. It doesn't mean he even has to preach at all. What it means to be able to teach is this man must know God's word. He he takes God's word and he knows it. He believes it. He knows it from his head to his toes. He wants to to know God's word and ingest God's word and see God's word change his life. And as he sees God's word change his life, he's able to minister God's word to other people. Maybe at a coffee shop, maybe over a meal, maybe just hanging out in life. An elder is able to teach by taking God's word and ministering it to others, applying it to life, encouraging, exhorting, and informing God's people. An elder is not a drunkard. Flat out, he doesn't get drunk. Now this doesn't mean he can't consume alcohol, but if he does, he's self-controlled in doing that. He's not addicted to alcohol or any substance, any substance, even food. He's not dictated by anything. He's not mastered by anything. An elder is not violent but gentle. He's not a striker. There's another way to translate this. He's not a striker in his words or his actions. He never uses his, his physicality. He never uses his body or his words to get his way. He's not domineering or a bully. He's gentle, and gentleness marks his whole entire life. An elder's not quarrelsome. He's not a fighter. He's a peacemaker and a peaceable person. An elder's not contentious. He's not divisive. In Titus chapter 1, Paul says there that an elder is not quick-tempered or angry or hot-headed, which goes right along with this. He's not seeking to create division or or rise up in anger at anyone that he is seeking to pastor and lead and work with. An elder is not a lover of money. He isn't greedy for financial gain, whether through ministry or the marketplace. He's not greedy, but instead his life is marked by generosity with what God's given to him. An elder must manage his household well. Elders are called to care for, lead, and feed their children, whether physically or spiritually. The Puritans used to have a saying. They said that the home is like a little church and the pastor is the dad. Home is like a little church and the pastor is the dad. And listen to me, men. All men in this room, listen to me here this morning. This is a good call and a challenge for all of us. You may sit in there thinking, well, I'm not going to be an elder. I don't really uh, aspire to that. I don't think maybe that's where God has me. I challenge you on that too, to pray and consider that maybe God is calling you to lead in his church in that way. Have you ever even prayed about that? But men, listen to me this morning. This is a good call for all of us to manage our households well, to love and feed and care for our children, because all men are called to this, not just elders. Elders must do this, but all men are called to this. And shepherding a home is the first place we can evaluate if a man can shepherd God's people. Managing the household is seen in discipleship, in discipline of your kids, serving your family, managing your finances, caring for and leading your wife, protecting and providing for your family. And if a man isn't doing this at the home, he won't be able to do it in and for God's church. An elder cannot be a recent convert. He can't have just come to know Jesus there needs to be some spiritual maturity there, but it's not so much about knowledge. It's what we see what Paul's saying. It's just so that this man doesn't get puffed up with pride and conceit. Thinking, man, I got this. Come to know Jesus. I'm just working my way up the leadership track. I'm on the fast track here. No, he's saying, no, there needs to be some patience here. We don't want this man to be conceited and puffed up with pride and fall into the snare of the devil who, because of pride of power and position, fell away from the Lord. And lastly, It says that he must be thought of well by outsiders. In some ways, Paul's coming kind of full circle here, saying he must be above reproach. But what do other people say about this man, particularly those who aren't in the church, people who don't yet know Christ? What does your non-believing neighbor say about you or about this man? Does an elder even know non-believers? Does he have a relationship with people who don't yet know Christ? But what would an outsider say about him? Does he embody or disparage the name of Christ and his church to the people that he lives life around? Now, this is not an exhaustive list of character requirements. We can't look through this and just say, okay, I'm going to go down the check, checklist and just check boxes off here. No, what Paul's doing is, is he's, he's painting a picture. He's seeking to depict a man whose faith, who has a faith in Christ, but whose faith has actually impacted his life. A man who has been transformed by the grace of God and is being transformed by the grace of God to look more and more like Jesus. Sojourn, this is a high calling. And I don't say that to seek to elevate or glorify this role. No, one should aspire to the office of elder, not out of a desire for pe- position, power or prestige, but rather because they have a burden to lead and care for God's people. I've to be honest with you this morning. This text is super challenging to me. It's super challenging to me because I, right now, hold the office of elders, one of the elders of this church. And so as I look down this thing and see this picture that Paul's painting of what an elder should be, I have to ask myself the question, and if I don't, then I'm being false to this. I have to ask myself the question, is this me? Is this me? I told a group of guys this week We were talking about eldership and and, and what it looks like to be an elder in the church, what it looks like to be qualified to do this. And I said, guys, we have always got to be men who are constantly and consistently evaluating our own lives, assessing our own hearts, praying before the Lord and asking ourselves, today, is this me? Today, is this me? And as I read through this list, I recognize how much I need God's sustaining grace, his transforming grace, how much I need Jesus. Because as I look through this, I realize I can't do this on my own. I can't be this person on my own. I need God's grace. And that's exactly the point. See, to be a faithful leader in Jesus' church, faithful leaders must hold on to the faithful leader. Have to. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter talks about elders there. And I mentioned this earlier. This is a great text that also just seeks to explain what elders are and what they're called to do. Listen to these words from Peter. It says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, he says this to elders. Elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory earlier in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 24 and 25 Peter writes there talking about Jesus He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you see the language that Peter's using here? What do we learn from these two texts? Jesus is the chief shepherd. He is the overseer. He's the elder of our souls. He is the pastor of his church. And just as we talked about last week, just as faithfulness is not manufactured but derived, so is authority. So is authority. No elder in any church has leadership authority on his own. It's not something to grab onto and possess on your own. It's only because Jesus, the chief shepherd, the chief pastor elder, gives it to that man to steward it in caring for his church. He says, I'm giving you, I'm making you an under-shepherd. I'm the chief shepherd, you're an under-shepherd. I'm giving this to you, would you steward it? Because I love my church. But here's the other thing we learn from these texts in 1 Peter. It's this, that elders are sheep too. Elders are sheep too. They're not a separate class of people. They're not a different level or class of Christian. They are men who are in need of a Savior. Men who are desperate for saving, transforming, and sustaining grace. See, faithful leaders are not faithful because of their credentials, because of their accolades, because of their gifts or abilities, because of their skill or their work, or because of their heart or their passion or their zeal or their hopes or their dreams. Faithful leaders are faithful because they hold on to Jesus. Because they hold on to Jesus. It's all by grace from beginning to end. Man, how I need to be reminded of this this morning, brothers and sisters. How I need to hear this this morning. I cannot do the good work that God has called me to as one of the pastors of this church if I don't abide in Jesus. If I don't hold on to Jesus. If I seek to do things on my own. If I seek to to lead this church on my own strength and ability. If I seek to move the mission of God forward on my own. If I seek to hold things together on my own. And there are times, brothers and sisters, that I have done this. I say, I got this. I can do this. I have the ability to do this on my own. But anytime, every time that happens, it's a recipe for disaster. But see, when I'm desperate for Jesus, the chief shepherd and overseer of my soul, then I'm in a good place. I'm in the best place, a great place of desperation and dependency on the faithful one, on King Jesus that's the kind of people we need in this church to lead and leadership in this church is, is men who are desperate for Jesus. And I need to be reminded always, every day, how desperate I am for Jesus. But here's the deal. What, what, what does this have to do with you? Again, you may be sitting there thinking, well, I'm, you just said only men can lead, can only be in this role. So if I'm a woman, then this doesn't really apply to me. Maybe again, you're thinking, I don't know if I'll ever be an elder. Maybe I'll consider it. I don't know if I'll ever be there, so what, why and what does this matter to me? Well, here's the deal. Church, because the good work, the noble task that God gives to these men, to myself, is to care for the people of this church. To, to feed you, to lead you, to care for you as God's people. We can look throughout all the New Testament and see that elders are called to be on mission. Elders are called to present you mature in Christ. Elders are called to guide you and lead you to help you to become more like Jesus. Elders are called to equip you for the work of ministry. Elders are called to protect you from false teaching and the other aspects and dangers of life in this world. Elders are called to exercise church discipline when necessary for the purity of the church. Elders are called to pray for you and with you. Elders are called to minister the word of God to you. And all of these things impact you then. All of these things are for you. That's what the church is. It's not just it's not a building. It's not just a, a group of people. It's a family. It's God's people. So this is super important for you because it impacts your life more than you know. Psalm chapter 23, a psalm that may be familiar to, to all of us, even whether we read the Bible or not. Maybe we've heard aspects of this psalm quoted before, but I want to read it to us this morning, just the first four verses. This is what the psalmist writes. The Lord We know we're talking about the Lord here. He is the chief shepherd. But listen to me. Faithful leaders, faithful elders are men as under shepherds who are called to lead you to still waters in green pastures. As we follow the chief shepherd even through shadowy shadowy valleys that are marked by death. We walk with you. And we walk before you in all things by God's grace and power. Always seeking to point you to Jesus. Maybe you feel like you're walking through a, a dark valley right now in your life. Listen to me. We are here for you. We are here for you. Would you let us know? Would you let us know? We, we don't always get it right. We do not always get it right. And we are far from perfect in how we pastor people. But Sojourn, I want you to know something this morning. If you don't get anything else out of this this morning, I want you to know this. Every leader in this church loves you dearly. We love you dearly. Maybe we don't always communicate that well. Maybe there's been times you haven't felt particularly loved by all of us or one of us. And if that's the case, would you forgive us for that? Because we love you dearly. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're here is because we care about this church. We care about you as God's people. So would you let us know if you're struggling? See, one of the beauties of God's church is we strive to lead Even in the valley, even in the dark times, one of the beautiful things about God's church is that the leaders of the church are not called to do everything, but instead we're called to help you, to help you be family with one another. It's one of the things I love most about this church is that we have really embodied the idea of being a family with one another, and we're seeking to help you be brothers and sisters to one another so that we can all come, aside, uh, come alongside one another through the ups and downs of life and walk side by side with each other. So if you're struggling, know that we are here for you. Would you let us know? Maybe this morning you recognize that you don't actually know Christ as Lord and Savior and King. Will talked about that earlier, that some of you know that. You know that you don't yet know Jesus. Others of you maybe think that you do know Christ, but don't actually have a real relationship with him but know this this morning we are here for you psalm 23 tells us that all of us need to have our souls restored and if you don't yet know jesus if you haven't truly trusted in christ as your savior you need a restoration of your soul and we are here for you the elders of this church long to see you cross from death to life We long to see you experience the freedom and the grace that comes in and through Jesus who died on the cross for your sin and rose again that you might be set free and know the God of all creation now and forever. So if that's you this morning, I want to come to you once again, maybe for the first time for some of you, maybe for the hundredth time. And I want to, I want to beg you, I want to implore you, be reconciled to God this morning if you don't know him. Trust in Christ this morning for the first time. That's why we're here as a church. We want to see you know and follow Jesus. And if you have questions about that, if you still don't understand that, please come talk to me. Come talk to any of the other pastors, any of the other people in this church. We want to help you understand that. That you might take a step of faith and jump in and follow Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we want to be a faithful church. And in order for us to be a faithful church, we have to have faithful leaders. Leadership in the church is not determined by popularity. It's not a matter of politics or position. It's a burden that some must bear for the sake of Jesus' sheep. It's a noble calling for a good work that's only possible by the grace of God. And it's to be held by men who are desperate for Jesus and long for Jesus' people to be desperate for him too. You know, oftentimes we talk about life being a race or a journey with a destination in mind. And we can look throughout the scriptures and see that the scriptures often use this analogy of that we're in a race. We're in a race. Now listen, I don't run unless someone's chasing me. I mean, I don't know you people that like to run. I don't understand that. It doesn't compute in my mind that that's something enjoyable to do. A bike sounds a lot better. A car, even better than that. But I do have friends some that may be a little crazy that like to run long distances for fun, they say. 26.2 miles. I have another friend that runs ultra marathons plus that, you know, running 50 miles. A good friend of mine ran all the way from uh, Georgetown to Harper's Ferry for fun. Why would you do that? I don't know. My point, though, is as I think about running, I don't know a whole lot about it. And so I, I, I asked this friend who does this crazy thing. I said, man, what's for the most important thing to do in order to finish a long distance race. What is the most important thing that you need to do to maintain the ability to finish a long distance race? And he, and he texted back and he said the best thing, the most important thing, all the training, all the nutrition, all that stuff is good. But the most important thing in the midst of the race is maintaining a good rhythm and a good pace. When you're going to go that long, you have to maintain a good pace. Pace, he said, determines how you finish and if you finish. It helps you to be able to maximize your strength and energy to cross the finish line. All of us need a good pace in this race of life that we're in. And I haven't always maintained a good pace. I haven't always encouraged our other leaders to maintain a good pace. And I still struggle at times to maintain a good pace. In planting this church three years ago, we charged out hard and fast. And oftentimes it was like we were running for a sprint, not a long distance marathon and I'm often even still struggling to run at a sustainable pace and when that happens what that leads to is burnout fatigue and poor leadership and I'm repenting of that I'm trying to seek the Lord on that I need God's help and grace every step along the way in this race and leading to be able to maintain a good pace It is a good thing to aspire to the office of pastor elder, to want to see God's people thrive and flourish. But listen, no current or future elder can be a faithful leader if he's not maintaining a good, sustainable pace in this race. And so to close, I just want to take that word pace. I'm going to be cheesy here, okay? I'm going to take that word pace, and I want to challenge current elders, future elders, sitting here right now, and I want to take that word, and I want to assign a word to each of those letters of the word PACE to help us, to challenge us to be able to maintain that. And I want to challenge you as people that are part of this church, as sojourners in this church as well, so that we might be a church that is a faithful church, not for the next few months, not for the next few years, but for the next hundred years if Jesus doesn't come back. That we might have leaders that exemplify the qualities and characteristics of 1 Timothy chapter 3, and everywhere else that the Bible speaks of leaders and elders. So for elders to be faithful leaders, they must be prayerful, accountable, Christ-centered examples. They must be prayerful. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles established another office in the church of deacons so that they can be devoted to the ministry of word and prayer. Prayer is paramount to pastoring. It's paramount to pastoring. But prayer, let me tell you this from my own experience, is so easy to let slide in the busyness of life and ministry. So easy to let slide. It oftentimes feels like we're not doing anything when we sit down to pray. There's so many other things to do. But listen to me, a faithful leader is a praying leader. A faithful leader recognizes that apart from God's empowerment and direction, there will be no way for him to feed, lead, and care for God's people effectively. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses, who's leading God's people, is going and praying on behalf of God's people. And I think he prays something in there, verse 15, that I think should be the prayer for myself and for any leader currently and future in this church. He says this, he's praying to God on behalf of this people. He says, and he said to him, speaking to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Faithful leaders are men who earnestly pray for the presence of the Lord to go with them in everything, to go with us as a church and are completely content and patiently waiting for the Lord, waiting for him. Sojourners, there's often times throughout the life of this church that I have not been as prayerful as I should be. And I ask for your forgiveness in that. I want to be a prayerful leader. I want the elders of this church to be prayerful men. That we get on our knees and we pray before the Lord, seeking him for the sake of this church. And I want to grow in that. I want our church to be a more prayerful church. We're going to talk about faithful prayer in this series. But I want us to be a church who moves forward on our knees together. Must be prayerful leaders. Faithful leaders must also be accountable to maintain a healthy pace. James chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 13 both say that leaders who teach, preach, and lead the church will have to give an account before the Lord. We will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for how we've shepherded and cared for God's church. So we need to take that seriously. Take seriously our call, never flippant in our role in leading God's church. We need to be held accountable. To maintain a good pace and finish the race and be faithful leaders, we also need to be Christ centered. First Corinthians chapter two, verse two, Paul says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Faithful pastor elders have a single-minded focus to make much of the name of Jesus and never of themselves. We need to always be Christ-centered if we're gonna be able to live out the calling to be faithful leaders. And lastly, we need to be examples. In first Peter chapter five, as we read earlier, Peter calls pastor elders to be faithful examples to the flock among them. As the shepherd goes, so goes the sheep. This means that elders need to be leading out in humility and faith. We're called to be the the lead repenters in the church. The lead worshipers in the church. Set an example for you in faith and purity and love and speech. See, the reality is the the, the requirements, the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3 are, are characteristics, are things that are mentioned all throughout the New Testament that really should be exemplified in the life of every follower of Christ. But the reality for elders is that we have to be leading the way in this. We need to be leading the way in this. Faithful leaders are men who exemplify Christ-like character and are able to say, follow me as I follow Jesus. See, in the long run, an elder's faithfulness to his role in leading this church will have far more to do with character than it will be anything to do with his gifts or abilities or knowledge. But listen, you play a part in this too. We are your leaders by God's providence. We are the leaders of this church now. The elders of this church and any future elders are who God has placed to be here. And God has called you to follow the leaders of your church. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Brothers and sisters, you play a critical role in helping us to be faithful leaders. So how can you help us maintain the sustainable pace to be faithful, the faithful leaders God has called us to be? You can be prayerful, accountable, Christ-centered encouragers. Be prayerful. Over and over and over again, Paul, throughout the New Testament, as he writes these letters to the churches, talks about how he's praying for them, but oftentimes he asks those churches to be praying for him. We don't only want to be praying for you, we're asking you to pray for us. Pray for us because we can't do this without you coming alongside of us and praying for us. Praying for us and praying for our families. Praying for faith and for protection and for wisdom as we seek to lead. Be prayerful. Hold us accountable. The qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 are important. They're not something that we just kind of shuffle aside. I want you to know what those qualifications are so that you can hold us accountable. You play a critical and vital role in affirming the leadership of your church. And so hold us accountable to what God has called us to. Don't be afraid to gently rebuke or exhort us. We have said this before, but we are all blind to our own blindness. Leaders included. We don't have some ability to see every aspect of our own lives. We need you, our brothers and sisters, to help us to be more like Jesus. So please hold us accountable. Thirdly, remain Christ-centered yourselves. First 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 3, Paul rebukes the Corinthian church for being divisive. They've kind of created these camps where they seek to follow certain leaders within the church more than they're following Jesus. Some say, I, I, I'm with Apollos. And others say, I'm with Paul. But Paul writes this to them. He says to them in verses 6 and 7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Faithful leaders should always be pointing you to Jesus. We need to be Christ-centered, but you need to be Christ-centered as well. Seeking to follow Jesus above all things. Because here's the reality. None of us, not a single leader in this church, will always be here. We won't always be here. My hope is this church will endure for hundreds of years unless Jesus comes back. By God's grace, the church will be here. Because we've remained Christ-centered. And lastly, be encouragers. Right after Peter calls elders to be good examples and to do a good job in shepherding God's people, he says the enemy is like a lion who prowls around looking and seeking someone to devour. We are in a race, but we are also in a war. And the enemy does not want us to finish that race. He doesn't want us to become more like Jesus And God gives leaders of the church to help us persevere, to help us to be faithful regardless of what's going on in life and what culture is throwing at us. He gives us those leaders so we shouldn't be surprised then that the enemy will come after leaders and come after their families. And I know this for myself. There are times when I believe lies. I can be discouraged or depressed or anxious. There are times that I have wanted to give up throw in the towel there are times that i want to give in to sin but i need you i need you my family i need you to remind me of who i am in christ i need you to encourage me in the gospel i need you to remind me of god's love and grace for me as well so that i can keep persevering and running this race and leading you well all the elders need that we need you we need you to be our family to us Brothers and sisters, as we strive by grace to be examples to you, will you, by God's grace, strive to be encouragers to us? Help us maintain the pace necessary to finish the race, to be faithful leaders that God has called us to be. Sojourn, God cares greatly about his church. Jesus died for his church, and he says that he has established his church in the gates of hell, will not prevail against his church. And the calling then for leaders in the church is high. And apart from God's grace and empowerment, it's completely impossible. But when the leaders of a local church, when the leaders of Sojourn Church take seriously the call of First Timothy 3, 1-7, and all the rest of the New Testament that speaks to them, we can faithfully lead and the church can faithfully follow and both of us can do it with joy. Together we can be a faithful church. As we come forward this morning to take communion, I want our minds to be reminded, I want our souls to be refreshed this morning, that we have a shepherd and overseer of our souls. We have a faithful pastor elder who is completely perfect. And he laid down his life for us out of his great love for us, not because we deserved it, not because we were lovable. Because of his great love for us, he laid down his life for us that we could be set free from sin and death and have new life. That's what we do every week when we take communion. We're reminded of that. We're refreshed in that. And this is one of my favorite parts of our gathering together as a church. Because what happens in this moment, whether I'm handing the elements out to you or sitting and watching, is that you are preaching the gospel to me. You're preaching the gospel to me. Because every time you eat that bread and every time you drink that cup, what you're proclaiming is that Jesus died for you and rose again. Man, as you come forward this morning, be encouraged, be refreshed this morning. As you look around, that God's grace is sufficient for all of us. That we can be faithful because he has been faithful to us. And if you're not a follower of Christ, I would just ask you not to come forward this morning. And the reason for that is because this is a declaration of how desperate we are for Jesus every second of every day. And if you don't yet feel that desperation, if you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior, I just want to ask you to remain in your seat and and go to God. Pray to him. Ask him to save you today. Turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus today. Take him today. Take hold of him today. His grace is sufficient for you. And as I said, this church is here because of that. We want you to know Christ above anything else. So please come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love for you to go to community group this week and ask somebody there to tell you more about Jesus. But today, just hang out in your seat. Take Christ today so that next week you can come forward as a brother and sister in Christ and say, yes, Jesus died for me. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the back. Take a piece of bread and a cup to drink and hear what Jesus has done for you, our faithful king. Let's pray. Father, I praise you this morning that you are our faithful God. I praise you this morning that we have a faithful Savior. And that you and your love and care for our church, you've given us the Holy Spirit. But you've also given this church and every single one of your local churches faithful leaders. Men who are called to be faithful leaders. So my prayer this morning is that you, God, by your grace, by your Spirit, would help me to be a faithful leader. There are so many times and so many different ways that I have failed at that. But Lord, I come to you once again and ask that you would forgive me, that you would transform and change me. Help me to be the faithful leader you've called me to be. Help every other man in this church who's holding the office of elder, who one day will to be a faithful man and a faithful leader. I am desperate for you, Jesus. The more I do this, the more I recognize I have no idea what I'm doing and how much I need you I cannot do this on my own. I'm desperate for you, Christ. Help me to follow you so that others might be able to follow you as well. Lord, help us to be a faithful church to the glory of God and for the good of others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.